Tractor Time, the podcast for farmers who care about the earth. Welcome back to Tractor Time. My name is Ryan Slaybaugh, and I'm your host. Uh, this is brought to you by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. We are based in Greeley, Colorado, and are uh, back after a month's delay. Uh, thank you for hanging with us there as we moved our business from Austin, Texas up to beautiful Colorado. Uh, we've unpacked a bit. We're not quite normal yet, but uh, anyway, we're ready to get into today's program and get started. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, at first glance, our guest today, Andre Liu, president of iFoam, uh, advocate for uh, clean agriculture around the world, and Isaac Newton, the famous scientist, uh, may not have a lot in common. Isaac was famous for trying to catch an apple with his head and discovering gravity. Uh, he also invented this law about inertia. It says an object at rest tends to stay at rest, for, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. This inertia law explains why rocks don't just spontaneously roll around and why it actually takes effort and energy for us to get off the couch and do things. Uh, but when we apply it across the population, sociologically, the law can explain other things as well, uh, especially bad habits. Uh, Newton's law clicks right into place when we talk about changing ourselves, making ourselves healthier, doing better. Uh, we head one direction, and we stay that way until an outside force redirects us. It could be our conscience. It could be uh, somebody slapping us in the face. Uh, and, you know, across society, you can't slap us all across the face, but you can remind us of what is unhealthy. Uh, when you think about smoking, fast food, seatbelts, uh, all the ways that we have become healthier, safer today, uh, it took a change in path. It took a clear force to alter that path. And those forces we discover are usually human. They uh, are the ones who dictate these changes. And where Andre Liu and Isaac Newton start to overlap, uh, Newton's law applies to Andre as he is one of those forces. In the world of agriculture, uh, we know that we are pointed toward a direction toward more monoculture growing, consolidation of farming, globalization, uh, the dis disconnect between community and food. Uh, all this on its own uh, isn't intrinsically bad or negative. The problem is it gets abused and, and we get lazy through the process. Uh, until we get to a point where we understand, we look around and we go, something has to change. Uh, 20 years ago, farmers market movements began. The word organic began to creep into the public consciousness. Whole foods spread around the world. 10 years ago, uh, GMOs began to become dinnertime conversation. People actually knew what they are. Uh, we began to talk about heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, and how that's linked to processed foods and the food supply. We began, quite simply, to change. Uh, Andre Liu has a lot to do with that. He's one of those forces uh, pushing at industrial agriculture to change, to de decrease its use of toxins, to discover how to marry crops to land fertility, and to convert our industrial agriculture complex back into a reliable food supply. It's a daunting task, but he stays on it, uh, and, 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 and for that we, we are so proud to have him on today's program. So excited to talk to him. Uh, Andre has become much more than a household name in our world, in the Acres of USA world. He's written for our magazine for years, published The Myth of Safe Pesticides in 2014. He's spoken for several years at our annual conference. He'll join us again this year, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, he's currently the president of iFoam, Organics International, has more than 40 years of international experience in all areas of organic agriculture. He's been one of those forces of nature that are pushing 
our movement, the eco-ag movement, uh, into a positive direction. Uh, we spoke with Andre Liu on Thursday, July 20th, 2017, from his office in Queensland, Australia. We're very excited to have him. Uh, up next is our interview with Andre Liu. Thanks again for uh, uh, making the time today. Uh, where are you talking to us from today? I'm talking to you from my farm in Daintree, in the far north of Queensland, in Australia. Uh, great. Uh, and what do you grow on your farm? I grow tropical fruits. I have about five species of fruits that are my main commercial fruits, but, but I also have a collection of over uh, more than 100 types of tropical fruits. That's... Uh... That's amazing. Well, I want to hear more. I'll get. I'll ask you another question about that as we we go forward. But uh, for those who don't know Andre, um, he's been a part of our uh, Acres USA family for a while. Uh, written articles for us, and in 2014 published the myth of safe pesticides, uh, which, which is where I'd like to start today. Um, what triggered the idea to write that book, and what did you learn when, by going through the process? I started writing the book when different people particularly government regulators and others would say that pesticide use is safe and as a result there is no need to have organic agriculture because you know, people do not have to worry about the pesticides in their food. And I thought, well, if that's true, it's worthwhile looking at it. So I started researching it and it's actually to my horror I actually learnt that there's virtually no hard data or scientific evidence that any level of pesticide use in our food is safe. And the overwhelming body of scientific evidence shows that it is unsafe, and particularly for the unborn and the newborn and developing children. That, um, that I've read the book, and it's an incredible um Book and the way you organized it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty smart. Which was to take the kind of five ideas that are commonly um, misinterpreted or, or defended, uh, defenders of pesticides usually use, uh, and pick them apart with pretty, uh, quite a, uh, an amazing amount of detail and science uh, behind that. Um, can you talk about maybe one of those myths that struck you as, uh, as especially absurd or or unique to the argument uh, that you had fun tackling through the book? I think the major one is, oh, there's two actually, but one of the ones is that the residues are too small to cause any harm. And the regulatory authorities will always say, yes, we do find residues, but they're below their maximum residue level, so it doesn't matter, they're safe. And when I started to look at that, I found that they actually don't have science to show that these maximum residues residue levels are safe. They're really based on what we call data-free assumptions, not on evidence-based data. And when it comes to endocrine disruption, and we know many pesticides disrupt the hormone systems, there is no threshold or safe level. They can be dangerous in parts per billion. And a part per billion is one drop in three Olympic-sized swimming pools of water. And at that level, they can cause massive problems to the unborn, 
newborns and also to teenagers as they're going through puberty and growing up. That uh, um, are we in a better place today than 2014, or or has there been a not any any time to measure true progress or regression? We, I, I would say we're in the worst place. There's more and more pesticides going in the market all the time. And I think a, a good example of how bad things are is that when the World Health Organization came out and said that glyphosate, which is the most widely used herbicide in the world, when they said that it was probably carcinogenic to humans, but it was definitely carcinogenic to animals, that the regulatory authorities worked hand in hand with the pesticide companies to try and get around it, to try and discredit the World Health Organization. And I think this is one of the major problems with pesticide regulation. Most of the regulators now have people from the pesticide industry sitting on the committees that make decisions about their toxic chemicals. That is a conflict of interest. That's equivalent to letting the foxes run the hen house. Sure, certainly we've seen that in our country um, with recent appointments as well, uh, which we're watching closely. Um, yeah, this is a good segue into the to the book project you're currently working on, or, or we're wrapping up, um, which is a follow-up to the, the myths of safe pesticides, and in this focus more on children. Can you talk about the difference between this book project and, and the last one? The focus of my next one is particularly on children. That is because when I was researching the myths of safe pesticides, what I learned was the most vulnerable group to pesticides are the unborn, mm. the newborn and growing children, including you know, when they're going through puberty. And that when we look at that science, we have no data whatsoever that any pesticide and there are other chemicals as well, are safe at any level. And we have data where mothers have been eating conventional food, fruit and vegetables that are with the pesticides at the levels that are supposed to be safe. And you can, you know, scientists have found evidence of brain damage in their children. The fact is that the current levels of pesticides aren't safe and it's important that parents, particularly mothers and fathers, get to know, you know the truth about these pesticides, that they aren't safe and the only way that you can avoid it is by buying certified organic products or buying organic products from your CSA or farmer's market. Hmm. It, 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 it seems on the surface that when we talk about kids and we talk about public health, um, it seems, it seems to get people's attention pretty quickly. Yet, um, our, you know, especially in the United States, the United States is weird. Um, you know, when we talk about gun control, it certainly affects kids in a mass uh, amount, but we don't do anything about it. Do you feel like, you know, this argument, uh, you know, would that they're not really argument, but the, but the idea of including kids in this conversation and then how much it does affect them will create some uh, uh, change out there or, or create a, a different conversation? That's the point, and that's what I hope to achieve. And where this is very important is that, for instance, the US EPA has supposed to be working on this for the last 20 years, 
and they've virtually done nothing. And in the book, I show how you know, various organisations are critical of the US EPA because they have not done what they're supposed to do with pesticides and children. The, I think the most important thing here is that if we wait for governments, nothing will happen. Change only occurs because it's driven by people, not by governments. And what we really need is for parents to become active and avoid these toxic foods and basically vote with their feet and buy organic. That will change the way the market operates. That will change what farmers grow. That will change what, what, what shops sell. And it's the most powerful tool we have is our ability to decide how we spend money and what we spend it on. And, and we've seen, you know, I guess maybe 20 years ago, the word organic got introduced into kind of common language. Here, uh, 10 years ago, we saw some grocery stores focusing on organic foods and, and starting whole chains, whole foods, things like this, uh, uh, creating some dialogue about it. But how much further do we, in your in your opinion, is this the you know, it feels like we're just at the tip of the iceberg, I guess. Would you agree with that? And, and how much more, um, are we 5% of the way there? Are we 1% of the way there? Are we just getting started? You know, where do you see this, the, the, the change happening, and where are we in that process? We, we, we're still at the beginning, but we are a substantial beginning. So, for instance, in, in the U.S., mm -hmm. it's a $50 billion market. That's not a niche. Right. That is an emerging market. And can I say this is the fastest growing market. If you, if you look at how, what's happened to markets since 2008 when the world economy basically collapsed, most markets went backwards. The organic market continued to grow. And now that economies are recovering, the organic market is growing at double-digit rates. There is no other multi-product market that is growing like organic. So we are, we are the fastest-growing market, and I can say that all the main companies now are offering organic lines because if they don't, they lose market share. No, you're, and, and just the data we've had, at least within the United States, uh, we've seen organic farms uh, product production grow about 15% just year over year, and uh, livestock organic production grow by by 30 to 35%. So huge uh, production increases uh, there, according to the USDA's uh, last census on the issue. So, uh, so just just put some numbers behind your your point, which is, um, yeah, it's growing growing fast, but a, a, and, and if it keeps growing at that rate in 50 years, will we have an organic dominated market? Do you think? Yes, we will eventually. And there's examples of that already when it comes to baby food in Europe. It's virtually impossible to buy non-organic baby food now because parents want organic because they are concerned about what their children eat. Yep. And we're seeing these trends around the world now. And really, our biggest consumers are the millennial generation. They are very, very concerned about what happens to their children in their future. Mm -hmm. so, and they are the ones who are really driving the growth of organic around the world. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I got a couple of nephews who are uh, that age, and they, um, 
uh, I remember when I was growing up, we were told McDonald's was going to be this big treat if we were good or got good grades. Uh, they refused to go to McDonald's. You know, they're in high school or in, they're in 17, 18 years old, and they uh, they just get grossed out by it, which is just an amazing uh, amazing change in just one one or two generations uh, to see. But uh, it gives me hope at the very least. So, uh, switch subjects a little. Bit, yeah. It actually gives. Me- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt the delay, the satellite delay. Uh, it actually gives me hope too, Ryan. And, and I think one of the, the other very, very interesting phenomena now is that in 2014, for the first time in 100 years, the number of farmers in the United States increased instead of decreasing. And once again, that's the millennial generation going back to the land and starting to grow organic crops. That's um, that. Uh, I, I'm smiling here because that's exactly what the uh, you know the one of those bellwether trends that we see is is there is some there is some change going on and we're so close to it it's hard to really measure that change but we but certainly anecdotally that uh, that gets us up in the morning to do what we do uh, I know so. Um, for a moment, talk about iPhone yeah. Phoenix International, if you don't mind talking about what you what you do with what uh, what iPhone does internationally around this subject, uh, just to to let our readers know a little bit about what your organization does. Well, iPhone is the global umbrella body and change agent. We're the only one in the world, and we are an organization of organizations. We have around eight hundred organizations in 125 countries and that includes many organizations in the United States. We work at every level so we work with farmers all around the world in countries like the US but also in countries in Africa or Asia in Latin America. We work with governments and help them with their organic regulations And a lot of governments are coming to us asking for our assistance because they know we have the expertise and the experience. So we we work with governments. We also work at the United Nations level. So we're working on issues like climate change and farming, food security, to make sure that everybody is fed. And also on the whole issue of true sustainability and particularly regenerating farming and regenerating ecosystems. You were, I believe you attended the Global Symposium on Soil Organic Carbon in Italy this year, um, or if I have that correct. Uh, you mentioned climate change and you mentioned some of these yep. issues. When you're, at, when you're at these international conferences, uh, do, the, do the problems that different countries are bringing to the table, uh, are they disparate or are there quite a bit of overlap in the challenges they're trying to, to solve? Well, from my perspective, and I'm someone who is on every arable continent every year meeting with people, while every country has its unique problems, when you start looking at the major ones, they are much the same. It doesn't matter whether it's in, in the US or Canada or in Germany or if it's in Uganda or Zambia or um, Bhutan. We see the same issues pop up time and time again. What, uh, uh, what, what 
is there one primary issue that you see is, is the most common? I think the most important one is getting connecting farmers to markets. Yeah. And at the moment, we really don't have the economies of scale that other agricultural systems have. And developing diverse markets really is the key to ensuring the well-being and prosperity of farmers at the same time, the well-being of consumers because they can actually get uh, good organic food. And there are quite a few models for this. And so for us, what is really important is to start looking at these different models and allowing farmers or, or different people to actually pick the ones that are most suitable for them. So for some people, that might be a CSA or, yeah. or their local farmer's market. For someone else, it might be an export to supermarkets. They all, all have a place. And it's about getting that mix right. That's, uh, that, I, I, no, my head, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm take just a quick second here to remind our listeners that are listening to Tractor Time podcast, uh, what farmers listen to for interviews with experts in ecological agriculture and developing fertile soil. This week we're speaking with Andre Liu, president of iFoam Organics International. Uh, we'll get back to Andre here. Uh, Andre, thanks again for, for spending time with us uh, today. I'm curious, you just mentioned all the travels and conferences and meetings that you do around the world. Um, conversely to the problems, you have to be seeing some projects that get you excited, that give you, uh, use that word again, uh, to give you some hope. Uh, could you tell us about a couple of those projects that you're you're keeping an eye on? Okay, some of the ones we're actively involved with, for instance, in East Africa, which is Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, and Rwanda, we have a project where we're working with around 200,000 small farmers. And what that involves is teaching how to have what we call good organic kitchen gardens, because the first market is the kitchen table. And to produce, we want them to produce a wide range of foods so they have no deficiencies. The, the other one is also to select some commercial crops that they can sell. And the two, the two that have turned out to be best are pineapples and coffee. And there they work with the market that, that all the smallholders can actually consolidate their crops so you can have large enough consignments and they get, they get sold in Europe. And that has taken these farmers out of abject poverty. And we're talking about there are times of the months, sorry, times of the year, about three months of the year, they used to call it a hungry season, where they rarely ate. It was a really difficult time for them. Now these farmers have full food security. they built good houses. They can send their children to school. They can afford to pay for their medical expenses. It's brought this whole sense of well-being to the community. So it's projects like that that we find are very important. Yeah, uh, for for pretty obvious reasons. Um, the pretty standard uh, quality of life uh, uh, issues that you're tackling there. Uh, it, it, and how? When did that? I guess get going. Uh, how long has it been running that program? Well, this project was 
started at, at really about the turn of the century. Okay. It's been going now for quite a while and expanding. There are other projects that we've been involved in. One of our members is the Institute of Sustainable Development in, um, in Ethiopia. And they have worked with this region called Tigray. And some people will be old enough to remember when there was the live aid concerts were on for Ethiopia because people were dying of starvation in droughts. So that they started working with these communities and restoring the degraded ecosystems, firstly by managing grazing, not stopping grazing, because the farmers need the products that come from grazing animals, but also helping them build up their, their soil organic matter, teach them how to compost, how to make biogas and actually then compost a slurry and put it out. And as a result, these communities increased their production by more than 100%. And very importantly, because they've built up the soil organic matter, they are now resilient against adverse weather effects. So at the moment in Ethiopia and other places, there's, there's a massive drought. The World Food Program is predicting many millions will starve this year if they, you can't, they can't get food aid to them. But the people of Tigray are not being affected. Yes, they're in drought. But because the organic matter can capture and store the rain that they get, right. they can continue to get good yields. And to me, that's one of the really good success stories. The other one for me that I loved about this one, as well as the community being food secure, as well as them being able to build reasonable houses and send children to school, uh, one of the things I was told is that the women could buy new dresses. And you think, well, what's that got to do with food security? Well, because these women were so poor, they basically wore clothing with holes in it, and they felt too embarrassed to, to socialise. They didn't feel decent enough. Once they had nice dresses, they could socialise and they get this whole sense of community and well-being. And I think that is a, a really important part of what we do. The other really exciting thing is that the children now are returning to the village. Instead of in most communities where children leave and go to the city, uh, going back because now they have a future. They can be employed in agriculture and be productive. So you're really talking about not just solving a food issue, but solving a, a community self-esteem issue, solving a uh, uh, a lot other things than than just food and, and just just work at that point. Uh, that, that's phenomenal. The exactly, Ron. We we sorry for talking. We've got the lag. Sorry, I'm talking over you again. Well, I, I was just gonna just gonna say that uh, uh, we've seen that even here uh, in in some of the more food deserts within the United States as well. That uh, uh, when you give people uh, a purpose uh, and you give them uh, hope and a, and a plan, I guess that that's becoming the theme of this podcast today is just uh, that that food is so important to that. And when you build a new grocery store in somebody's community, it and you put a farmers market in that community. It, it really does have a uh, – it affects how kids learn, 
affects how kids behave. It affects how communities, you know, communicate and talk to each other. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I go to the grocery store and get caught in the produce aisle and talking to somebody who's my neighbor. And that's valuable uh, well beyond just the fact that we're sitting, sitting near food uh, that we're choosing. So, I agree. For us, it's not just about oh, we're producing food. What we're talking about are people and communities. The economic rationalists forget that farmers come in communities, consumers come in communities, and the well-being of our communities is as important as our personal well-being. If we live in a community that has this sense of well-being, that also flows onto us. Certainly, it becomes an expectation. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let me change gears a little bit here and talk about Regeneration International um, and your work with them. You, uh, they're going to be an active part of our conference this year, our EcoAg conference in December in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you are on their steering committee, if I have that correct, with Vandana Shiva, who will also be speaking. Do I have those details right? Yes, you do. Vandana is one of the founding members, myself. Uh, Ronnie Cumming from the Organic Consumers Association. There's um, Hans Heron and quite a few others who are involved in the steering committee. And we're, we're actually a very fast-growing organization. We've now got about 60 other organizations that have joined us. And we, really, we have three main priorities. One is to deal with climate change, farming and climate change because we know with regenerative agriculture, particularly regenerative organic agriculture, we can take the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere through plants photosynthesis, put it into the soil as soil organic matter, and reverse climate change. This is a farming system. Instead of being one of the, the major polluters and problems in climate change, now becomes one of the major solutions. The other areas that we're working uh, in are toxics in food and GMOs, because we see these as uh, some of the greatest threats to our existence, particularly the new generation of, of GMOs. Yeah, that uh, we've got. A, I just saw something this week about um, uh, it was a headline. It was questioning. It was is fact is. Uh, Factory-made meat that's going to save the world. And I thought, oh boy, um, if that's what we're dependent on to save the world, then we're we're probably in trouble um, a little bit. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the uh, anyway, to get back to, to regeneration international a bit, and 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 uh, when, when did that? When did you guys really start, um, or really start to see your organization growing? Was it pretty much as soon as you you started? Bob. Uh yeah, it, it is in a way. It's about um, six months after we started. <laughs> Ironically, um, the the first initial idea actually came at uh, Acres USA conference in 2014 in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And that's when Ronnie Cummings and then Steve Rye from McCola and myself sat down and basically nutted out the the, the First, you know, I guess the beginnings of this organization. That's 
uh, and just to get a real real specific plug here, uh, uh, Vandana Shiva is going to be speaking on Thursday, December 7th in Columbus. So if listeners are interested, uh, tickets are on sale for the event. Um, can you talk about her a little bit and your work with her and kind of what, what – she, she comes from a little different uh, approach to agriculture, but uh, her activism is really starting to, to become worldwide and international. She's really becoming a very well-known name. Uh, in both public health and agriculture, uh, what's a, what's you know, can you tell talk about her a little bit and what uh, what working with her is like? Okay, Van Donna is one of these rare geniuses, and I mean she's a genius. A lot of people don't know, but she's got her PhD. She's a doctor in quantum physics, and she she is one of the the most perceptive, brightest minds. What I really love about her is her way of expressing it and communicating, taking complex ideas and making them easy to understand. That, that's her genius. And she has, she's been a very strong advocate of organic farming, eco-agriculture. For a long time, she actually runs a farm called Nagdanya in India that's uh, that's primarily a, a training school and she runs courses there. It's one of the it's one of the really good training schools and inspiring farms it's worth going to. She has been actively involved in saving seeds as the laws laws around the world are trying to stop farmers from saving seeds and and all the farmer developed varieties of seeds are starting to disappear for the new hybrids and GMOs, she, along with others, are saving them because these, these are some of our most important genetics. She has been very active in empowering farmers around the world, particularly small farmers in, in places like India, but also Africa and Latin America. And helping them to have a voice. And this is very important because you know, about 85% of the world's farmers are small farmers. They, they, they have five, acre, five acres or less, and they t- tend to live on $400 or less per year. And yet they produce around 70% of the food we eat in the world and in, in developing countries like India or... You know, Uganda, they produce 80% of the food that is eaten. So these are are really important farmers. They're marginalised by agriculture, also by government agricultural policies, when instead they should be at the centre of it. And that's where Vandana has been working and very much empowering them. See, when it comes to issues like toxics, like GMOs, climate change, she's one of, one of the most inspiring speakers to hear. And, and I, I can highly recommend to all listeners, it is worthwhile listening to her keynote speech. I am I got goosebumps just thinking about it. I can't wait to uh, both meet her and, and have a chance to listen to her talk uh, in December. Um, and she'll be in, in Columbus, Ohio. For those listening who... who Got excited by that too, and want to learn more? You can learn more at AcresUSA.com. Uh, uh, 
Andre, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, I got one more question for you before we uh, wrap up for the, this week's podcast. And, and I know you and I are going to talk more uh, at our conference this year, and I'll probably try to get you on another podcast when we're at the conference uh, this year, just as a warning. But uh, um, it really goes down to the individual. Uh, we've talked a lot about groups and governments and and organizations and. But what, you know, for the listeners out there, is there a challenge you'd like to give them or is there some, is a takeaway that you wish uh, everybody walks away from this with and, and something they can put in their back pocket and carry with them? The takeaway I'd like to give everyone is this, is that a lot of people feel overwhelmed by the scale of the different issues like climate change, like toxics, like GMOs, and People tend to switch off because they feel like they can't do anything about it. But the fact is you can. And that is in the way you purchase, the way you decide to spend your dollars. That is the most powerful tool. That is what will make the market change. It will make farmers change the way they produce. It will ensure that retailers are selling organic. And if we have enough of us, doing that, that'll be one of the biggest changes. And I'd like to say that change is already happening. Every major food company in the world now has organic lines because they have to. Otherwise, they will lose market share and shrink. And we're part of a trend. And I just want everybody to feel that they can also be part of this movement. It's a global movement and it's a movement that is winning the war against things like climate change, environmental destruction. All these issues are part and parcel of the way food is produced. And by buying organic, you can ensure that we can reverse climate change by taking the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, putting it into the soil. You can be sure that we are improving the environment that your children are not getting toxic chemicals and also the threat from the new generation of GMOs is going to adversely affect humanity. I think that uh, is about as good of a summary as I've ever ever heard on the issue out there. So uh, Andre, uh, again with iPhone, president of iPhone with uh, Regeneration International uh, and author of the myths of pesticides. Thank you so much for being with us this week. A pleasure. You've been listening to Tracker Time Podcast by Acres USA. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Ryan Slaybaugh. You can find all of our podcasts at www.ecofarmingdaily.com. That's www.ecofarmingdaily.com. Or check us out at acresusa.com. And buy all of our books and subscribe to our magazine there. And you can learn all about us uh, and more, especially our event. Uh, Again, Andre Liu will be at our event this year on December 5th through 8th in Columbus, Ohio. Thanks to everybody for listening uh, to another episode of Tractor Time. Have a good week ahead of you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks.